Welcome to Bible Talk. Thanks as always for joining me and I uh, appreciate your joining me to just talk through the Bible together. And today we're in our exploration of the letters of the New Testament. Today we're beginning a series of weeks in the book of Romans. Uh, let's pray and then we're going to jump right in. Father, thank you for the book of Romans in the Bible. Thank you for all the, the documents in the Bible. Thank you for the ministry of the Apostle Paul, whom you used to write uh, the majority of the books in our New Testament. Um, and uh, these documents are preserved for us for an intended purpose, to help us know you and serve you. And your word is anointed and it's powerful, it's living, it's um, that which gives us faith and life as we trust you and your promises, and your word is, uh, is connected to you. And so thank you for the gift of the Bible, and let it not be wasted on us. And thank you that the Lord Jesus revered the Bible, and may we do the same as we live our life by faith. In his name, amen. Okay, the book of Romans is an interesting book. It was written probably, and, and again, the reason we're going through the order we're going is that we're doing it in the approximate dates that the books were written. And please again understand that these dates are educated guesses, as it were. And what, what do I mean by that? Well, the books don't start out, you know, on a certain day in a certain month in a certain year, I was a certain place and I wrote these certain words. But what, what through the years, those who have carefully studied the Bible and, and Bible scholars, as it were, they come to somewhat of a consensus working together and separately from one another. You know, one time, um, one of the best pieces of advice I got while I was in seminary was, is, was to say, okay, when you, when you study the Bible to prepare a teaching or a, a message or something that you do as a pastor, then use the skills that you glean in advanced study, like in seminary or whatever, to uh, and the tools that are available to you to do your own work on your understanding of the passage. Then, once you've done that hard work, then consult reputable Bible commentaries. And, and, and there's a way to determine commentaries, I think, that are reputable. Um, in other words, determine reputable Bible commentaries and compare your conclusions to what the authors of those commentaries say about a particular passage. In other words, if you're the only person in 2,000 years that's come up with this idea, then doesn't mean by default that you're wrong, but it sure does raise uh, an eyebrow or two about the uh, the conclusion. Because uh, just think of it from this standpoint. Why would the Holy Spirit, who went to all the trouble to inspire the Bible, leave the majority of Christian leaders and teachers in the dark about something for 2,000 years? Uh, that, that, I mean, that's just not reasonable. Um, and it's not consistent with who God reveals himself to be as one who gives us the Bible so we can know the truth about him. And so 
the idea is that you would use those to, to check and balance. Well, the same way with things like the dating of the books is that careful study of, of all the documents in the New Testament and the various writings of Paul and the book of Acts and so forth, and you, you, you carefully study those and you study them in relation to one another and given certain information in certain books and you combine that with certain information in other books and you can create uh, a potential timeline or an itinerary based on uh, a number of things, maybe secular events that are mentioned in the Bible. Um, and then there are Roman his, ancient Roman historical records of dates when these events may have occurred, and you use those things. So there's all kinds of, of detailed ways that one would go about discovering these things. And so I'm just saying that when we talk about these dates of writing and so forth, that these are educated estimates is probably a better word to use. But I'm going to go with the idea that Paul probably wrote Romans on his third missionary journey, toward the end of his third missionary journey, in about 57 AD from Corinth, um, from the city of Corinth. That's, that's going to be... And, and, uh, the, the estimate uh, that I go with and, and that I'm going to be with. Let me also read a couple of other quotes about the book of Romans because today our goal is to just kind of look at the big picture and do a little bit of a flyover. Uh, Joseph Wong was a very influential teacher in my life uh, when I was in uh, Master of Divinity program at Asbury Seminary. He was a New Testament professor. And uh, he, uh, in one of his... Uh, one of his commentaries, I have some, some notes from this. He says, Romans is theologically the most important of all the letters written by Paul. It is his most comprehensive and logical presentation of the message, the good news of Jesus. Um, this, this letter has played important roles throughout the history of the church. Augustine, an important theologian of the fourth century, was converted by reading Romans. In the 16th century, Romans gave birth to the Reformation and the Protestant church when Martin Luther discovered in it the truth of justification by faith. At Aldersgate Street, uh, John Wesley's heart was strangely warmed when he heard Luther's preface to this epistle read. That event was an important turning point in his life, marking the conversion by faith in Christ, and was thus significant in the Wesleyan revival. And so what Paul was doing uh, was writing to a church that he had never personally visited. So he gives, um, as Wong says in another note that I'm reading from him, uh, Paul presented the message of the good news of Christ in a comprehensive and systematic way um, that was an overview. So it's like he's not been to this church. He knows a lot of people in the church at this point, as the, the last chapter indicates, as he gives greetings to various individuals there in Rome. But what he's doing then, he's just sort of, rather than most of his other letters, which deal with specific issues being dealt with at specific churches or, or regions of the church, then uh, the idea is that he is writing almost generically, uh, one might say, to the church at Rome, an overview uh, of the basic uh, principles of establishing and maintaining a, a relationship with God through Christ. So that, that seems to be the, the, the essence of it. Now, 
Um, so let's look at the big picture of the book of Romans. The book of Romans is divided into 16 chapters. Now, again, remember, chapters and verses, Paul did not write in chapters and verses, nor anybody else in the Bible. They wrote in words, phrases, sentences, paragraphs, and whole documents, right? The chapters and verses were added later for the purpose of how we use them for easy reference, to find a particular reference from the Bible. And the completed chapters and verses as we now know them weren't completed until 15, roughly, these are rough numbers, 1500 AD. That means that that. 1450 years after Paul wrote this wrote this document then the final version of the chapters and verses were completed and they're they're not inspired they're not you know they they're added by people for practical functional reasons so when you say Romans has 16 chapters that that just means that Paul didn't write 16 chapters he just wrote one document and the people came along and added the chapters and verses so we could easily find things. So Romans is divided into 16 chapters. And, and the chapters and verses, when they were added, were done so with, with a, with a, in relation to the structure of the book. They're not always, as I say, it's not inspired, but it generally so. But that being said, there's a clear distinction between the first 11 chapters of Romans and the last five chapters of Romans. Because if, if you look at the, the last of chapter 11, um, when Paul is getting toward the end of that, of that section where he's laid out, uh, in the first 11 chapters he's laid out, and we're, we're going to go back to that in just a minute, the, the, the basics of the, of the message of Christ, then he gets down into where is verse 33 and he says, Oh, the depths of both the riches, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out. Then, then he quotes from, uh, from, from the Old Testament in Isaiah and, and Jeremiah, etc. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Now, the next line says, I urge you, therefore, brethren. Okay, so in, in, as we've said so many times before, Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you stop and say, what for is the therefore, therefore? <laughs> the idea is that when there's a therefore, it means, okay, here's some particular truth or, or incident that's described. The result of that is this, okay? So that therefore in chapter 12, verse 1, is really a critical therefore. Because what it refers to is the first 11 chapters, right? It refers to the first 11 chapters. And so chapter 12 through 16 are essentially 
functional applications. In other words, chapter 12 through 16 are a so what. <laughs> Here's the first 11 chapters that are the truth of what it means to know God through Jesus Christ and what Christ has accomplished. So what? Well, here's the so what. Here's what it looks like then. And again, remember, he's speaking almost generically. In other words, he, he's not addressing a certain issue in the Roman church that he's trying to correct or whatever. He's just putting it out there as, a, as, a, as sort of a blanket truth for the, the implications of what God has done in Christ and how that plays out in our life. The other reason that's that's in, easy for us to do in Paul, as some of you who watch Bible Talk uh, before may recall me saying, or those of you that attend uh, DAC have maybe heard me say in a sermon, is that, it, and this is this is my observation, uh, that it 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 seems to work for me is that Paul was a a Grecian Jew. Now you say, what do you mean there? Well. It, you see this come up in Acts 6, where there were Jews in Jerusalem that were believers and, and had become followers of Jesus in the, in the very early days of the church. And the apostles ended up appointing seven men to oversee the distribution of food to widows within the church because there was controversy. Because what was happening is that there were also Jews in the diaspora, as there are today. In other words, Jewish people who live outside of Israel, all right? And in the Roman Empire, there were Jews scattered all over the Roman Empire. There were many Jews in the, in the Roman church, as we'll see, you know, as, we, as you look at the book at, at large. But, but those Jews that, and, and Paul was a diaspora Jew. He had, he had grown up in modern-day Turkey, Right? And uh, Tarsus was the ancient city that he had grown up in, in what is now today, I think, Turkey. But they grew up in a culture then that was not Eastern, it was Western. It was, it was influenced by Greek thought and, and uh, Greco-Roman uh, thoughts and, and ideals that are all conjoined together. And we in the West today, we're, we're Greco-Roman. I mean... Even even our language is 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 Roman. I mean, in other words, the 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 Western world, the influence of the Greeks and the Romans has absolutely permanently shaped the the mindset and the thought processes of Western society. Eastern people think differently. Eastern people, like in the West, we think very logically, very linearly. This, then this, then this, then this. It's almost mathematical, okay? And there's a, a division of, of ideas. Therefore, Paul could come to a therefore. In other words, Paul being a Western thinker growing up in Tarsus, Paul thought in a Greek way. Point A, yes. Therefore, point B. Therefore, point C, etc. And, and linear thinking. Okay, in the east, and and Israel was is is east. It you, you know you're you're getting into the Middle East, they call it, but it's still Asiatic influence, and that's the mindset of that of that part of the world. See, it's no accident that in pagan religions, the idea of 
of non-Christian religions of reincarnation and the idea of reincarnation originated in the East. That, that's where it's, it really is most popular in religious thought. Why? Because they, they think in circles. They, they, they are not linear thinkers. They are cyclical thinkers. And, and the idea, and again, for those that have heard me say this before, I apologize if you're, if you're bored with the repetition, but I think this it bears repeating. If you look at the writings of Paul, and then you try to like outline them, you know how we say, well, outline the Bible and break down the different parts, and then do the same with the writings of John or Peter. I mean, it's crazy. You're, it's very different. And for us with a Western mind to try to outline John or Peter is very complicated, and, and, it, do, and it doesn't flow as easily for us because John and Peter were both Hebraic Jews. They had grown up in Israel. That's like back to the Acts 6, back to the widows. The widows that had moved to Israel from the Greco-Roman world outside of Israel, the Grecian Jews, they were called, were and the Hebraic Jews, there was a tension between them and the Hebraic Jews uh, in terms of the distribution of food and the Hebraic Jews were getting uh, preferred treatment. And so there was a, a sense of injustice going on. So the apostles stepped in and appointed seven men to distribute the food appropriately uh, and make sure it was equitable. And the interesting thing are of those seven that are, are appointed, how we see Greek names show up for them. Like Stephen, the famous Stephen, who was one of the seven, who was the first, quote, martyr of the church in Acts chapter 7, is introduced to us there in Acts 6 as one of the seven. Well, Stephen, Stephanus, um, it, it, it comes from, and I know that because my last name is Stevenson, uh, it, it comes from a crown or a wreath. It's a Greek word for wreath or a crown. And and uh, and so anyway, that that's that's why the therefore in in Romans twelve is 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 a key dividing point. So I say that as the big picture division, and in the first uh, chapters of Romans, then you have the introductory portion. Well, I got to put my glasses on. I'm going to the wrong chapter because I'm I don't have my glasses. Um, and you, you have the introduction where Paul has his, really, for the first 15 verses are, are an overall introduction to the Roman church and his desires to... So, so really, this is a cover letter for his anticipation. This is almost an introductory letter from Paul to the church at Rome so he can prepare them for his visit. I mean, that seems to be the the rationale for the writing in terms of the, because he wants to come visit them and this is him introducing himself as it were. So he explains all that, gives all the appropriate greetings and, and everything in the first 15 chapters. And I'll be preaching from chapter one in one of the early verses. There's a great truth about the resurrection. I'll be preaching from that on, on, on Easter Sunday. This coming Sunday, I'm going to be preaching and I'll share this to close today because I know we're, we're about out of time. Is Verse 16, and I'll be elaborating on that. Um, I, some of you who are familiar and, and know me 
know that a few years ago I, I, I finished a, a, a Doctor of Ministry degree and relevant to my research was this passage, this sentence in Romans that's found in 116. And, and you know, I, I just was looking at my, at my uh, uh, work the other day and I actually, in my final work, I, I have 11 pages written on this one sentence. In other words, that to really do a deep dive into this. So I'm going to, I'm going to recoup some of that uh, by using uh, the advantage of that research to, to simplify it and have a message this Sunday on that verse. But verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the good news, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, uh, both Jew first and Greek. And the idea is that that verse, that sentence rather, introduces the rest of the first 11 chapters getting down to that and gives the thesis sentence for the rest of the 11 chapters. Uh, and you could really say for the whole book because 12 through 16 are really an application of what he explains in the first 11 chapters about the basic fundamental truths of what it means to know God through Jesus Christ and what God has done to make that possible in Christ. And that sentence is really the introductory sentence to the to the whole book that encapsulates what he's saying and what he's teaching in the whole book. So we'll jump more into this uh, as we move forward, but that's a little bit of an overview. Thanks for hanging with me. Uh, I hope I got, haven't gotten too uh, ethereal about it today, but I hope these are valuable things as you move forward and you look at the letters in the New Testament in general, okay? Th thank you, Father, for this opportunity to... Uh, explore with your people uh, your word and help us to be uh, better students of your word, not just so that we can have a knowledge of it, but so that we can know you and love you and serve and love others better. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next time.